Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey there, folks. Oliver here. If you, like me, have been following the news over the last week, then you're likely to have heard all about the news of jump being sold to Lime, and otherwise just the general carnage that we're seeing here in the industry at the moment. This is part of the creative destruction that Horace and I have both talked about. I want you to know that we're still incredibly bullish on both shared and owned e-bikes and other micromobility devices coming back super strongly in our post-COVID transport systems. I'll be having a lot more content on that here on the Micromobility podcast over the next coming weeks. On today's podcast, we publish an episode from the recent Micromobility membership call where we had reporter Felix Salmon interview Kara Swisher, editor at Recode, about her pledge to go car-free for a year and her thoughts about the development of the micromobility space. Kara is one of the most prominent tech reporters and is a giant fan of scooters and e-bikes. She talks about it in the wider context of tech and what has and hasn't worked. It's a great discussion. If you're interested in hearing more discussions like this in real time, consider joining up to Micromobility Membership. We do exclusive calls just like this, have a Slack channel to talk to others in the industry, build in the future, plus you get discounts on the Micromobility Conference, swag, and more, all for only 100 bucks a year. To sign up, head to micromobility.io forward slash triple dash M. And now, here's Kara and Felix. So let's start, Kara, with your column, which is a year old now. Yeah. Where yeah. you pledged to give up your car. Um, and you are Kara Swisher, so you never um, do anything for more than a year. So what has <laughs> changed since then? I still don't have a car. I don't have any car. Uh, I've, uh, I, I, it's, really, it's been an interesting challenge, but I haven't, it's interesting during this COVID-19 because it actually makes my life a lot easier. You don't go anywhere. Um, there's nowhere to drive to really. Um, and I don't really have, you know, you don't go to the store, which I think the biggest use I had of cars was going to the store and getting things essentially and putting them in the back of the car and driving them home. So, you know, the, the it's really kind of fascinating because all the trends that I had been talking about are really being accelerated by COVID-19, the, the delivery issues, the strength of Amazon, uh, the ability not to necessarily have so much stuff. Um, I'm not one who needs to hoard toilet paper. I feel like there's probably an end in sight for our toilet paper dra- uh, drought. Um, and so, uh, so I, so I, I, I found it's worked out really well. The one thing is, you know, again, I use public transportation all the time. Um, I'm not using public transportation right now, as a lot of people aren't. Um, but I was using it quite heavily, uh, and I was using scooters, um, uh, the city bikes, some of the electric bikes. Um, my next column on this, I'm going to do an update after a year. Um, will be using uh, how electric bikes, which I think are really something that are that is going to really take a, a big boom here. I'm going to be testing out a couple uh, of um, uh, turn is one of them I'm going to be testing. Um, I think they're really interesting. And I think I suspect, especially adding um, sort of child, I had just had a baby child stuff and cargo stuff on it will be, I'll, I'll be interested to see how I do with that. 
So your, your baby is how old now? Uh, I have two teenagers. My teenager has a car. I, I, I don't I want to force my things on him. Um, but uh, he doesn't use it that often. And I have a 17-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a six-month-old. Uh, and and you're, you're cool with taking the six-month-old on e-bikes? I will be. Yeah, I think not yet. Not quite yet. Um, I, I walk with, with her uh, where she goes. I mean, we have a stroller. We have one of, it's interesting. I got a Duna stroller. We got a Duna stroller, which actually becomes a car seat. So instead of having all these different items that you need for a kid, uh, if we get in a car like an Uber, which we haven't been doing, um, or a cab in New York, you can make the dune, it, it collapses, and then it, it's slightly more heavier, and then it goes into a car really easily. So that's been great that a lot of sort of new technologies around car seats have, have worked out really well. Because you're not giving up on driving cars. in cars. No, no, I said that. I said that. Cars. Yes, yeah. I, I, I was talking about the idea of car ownership. I don't ride a lot of cars, though. I ride m many fewer cars, for sure. Um, you know, you, if you have a car, you use it, I guess. You have the opportunity to use it. And so I don't take cars very often. If I have another choice, I tend to walk. I walk a lot. Um, I, you know, I live in cities, so that makes it easier. If I lived in the suburbs or other places. I, when I wrote those original columns, I got sort of 103,000 emails from people in rural areas talking about their trucks trucks, their pickup trucks, and I don't care. They can have their pickup trucks if they want to go to COVID uh, um, you know, get togethers, that's fine. Um, but it, it's, I, that's not what I was talking about. Like, and eventually, I do think those will all be autonomous, those trucks and things like that, eventually. But I live in a city, so I can walk everywhere. I can walk where I want to go. And then you find that you don't need, especially when combined with delivery, you really don't need that much of, a, of, a, of an ability to walk that far. Um, I have to, um, I look like an old lady. I've got a, a cart that I carry. I have two carts now. Um, so I do groceries with carts. Um, so I don't use a car very often, but if I need, if I need one, I, we do use one. Um, visiting friends who live a little further away, the, the walk is long. And if you can't use public transportation, that's a problem. But I tend to use public transit whenever I can. And right now I'm just not doing it because everybody's not doing it. So you wrote this column before this yeah. new found love affair or may, may or may not be a love affair. We'll find out with, with e-bikes. Mm -hmm. um, so e-bikes wasn't the impetus. Like no. what changed between say five years ago and last year that soured you on, on car It wasn't sour so much as like I, years ago, I think I wrote this in the column. I had written, a, everyone had landline phones and phones at the office desks. Everybody had those ridiculously complex phones that no one ever understood at, at desks. Um, and uh, I forget they were called Centrex or whatever. They had some ridiculous name, uh, but you only use them to call out essentially. Um, and so I, I wrote a piece many years ago saying you're going to have mobile phones. Like I had been using a suitcase phone and then a the slightly larger phone, a smaller phone, but still large, sort of the Gordon Gecko style phone. And then I got a smaller phone. And so I wrote a piece for the journal oh, so long ago, right, way long time ago, um, saying right when I got there in 90s, I don't know, 97, 98, something like that, saying you're not going to have these phones in the home. You're going to have this mobile device and it's going to get ever smaller and you're going to carry it around in your pocket. It's going to be a computer. So I think it was this idea. So I, I like to try to write about directional stuff. And I think car ownership 
is over eventually. You know, the idea of owning a car, just like a lot of things that you don't own anymore is, is over. And that was what I was talking about. And that includes things like insurance and all kinds. And so that journey, you know, I still ride in cars. So I have liability insurance. My insurance company, it's just, it just costs a couple hundred dollars versus thousands of dollars for a car car insurance. Um, and so I, I think directionally car ownership is not going to exist that you will not, you will summon cars or summon autonomous cars, and then you will, um, you will not have a car. You will do rentals or short term things or use Ubers or things like that. So it seems to me that in terms of the, the directional forecast, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, the big thing that hasn't happened so far is is autonomous vehicles right um the thing which is beginning to happen is um bike chairs and scooters and yeah and, and alternative electric mobility, bikes and stuff mobility. Like that. urban mobility um, is the large the, the big thing that is in the past that has happened and which has made giving up personal cars um possible now in the way that it was just not possible a few years ago is uber Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uber and Lyft and other, you know, wherever you live, Ola or um, Didi or whatever. Yeah, that's certainly been a boon. And, you know, in other countries, they, they offer more uh, transportation alternates. Like it's not just cars there, it's all kinds of things. And here we just have essentially scooters, uh, bikes and uh, cars with Uber, I think. And I forget what Lyft has, but uh, yeah, yeah, yes. Well, Lyft so has City Bike in New York. You get City Bike, yes, Lyft, that's right. Lyft has City Bike, yeah. That's right. Um, so, and, and City Bike is great, and I'm, I'm a yeah. massive, massive City Bike user and City Bike fan, and it's transformed mm -hmm. the way I get around the city. Not that I ever did drive around the city, but it's definitely mm -hmm. decreased the amount that I use public transport. Mm -hmm. um, I guess my question is like, you're not just talking about your own sort of evolution you're you're making a, a case, prediction yes. about how the world yeah. is going to change yes exactly um, exactly and and, the, and it's not just a prediction it's not just looking at how the world has changed because people still do own cars the uber hasn't on its own sufficed to decrease personal car ownership that much right do you think that uber on its own just like being around for a long time people will give up on personal car ownership or like people I, I, will I think, stop buying cars or yeah. do you think we need more than that no i think we obviously need more than that we need more than that but the idea is the 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 i think it starts off in sort of concentric circles you start off in urban areas where car ownership is just really expensive and trying your own car there's too many cars it's like so obvious from a climate change point of view from a commuting point of view, from a just a general rage point of view. And so you start in these, these major metropolitan areas, which are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger over time. They just are. I mean, every demographic, although, you know, there's stories of people moving back to Pittsburgh or whatever. There's, these cities are where things are going to happen. And so there has to be a real thought about how these cities should be configured, right? And so new versions of urban mobility have got to be thought about when you're planning any city or the future of a city. And so that's why you're seeing more bike lanes. That's why you're seeing more all kinds of for alternative urban mobility, if you want to talk about it in a large basket, um, including vertical lift and takeoff vehicles, which they're also developing. We'll see where they go, but it's, it's there. It's the idea is there and people scoff at it now, but I think you'll be using them in 20 years. Um, and these are these things that lift off from the tops of buildings and everything. So I'm talking first, First it starts in the city and then it moves to the suburb 
and then it moves broader. In, in, in a, to me, autonomous is the direction eventually. Um, but, uh, but I don't mean to say there's not going to be rentals or short-term car ownership, not car ownership, car rental. You know, I know people have tried this and some of them have failed. It doesn't mean they're a failure. It means that they're not, it's not ready yet. Um, so I, I do think there's going to be a difference in the suburbs in that you're going to find much more e-bike ownership. Yeah, in the ownership. Suburbs. Yes, they get stolen. Uh, they get it, stolen yeah. easily. That's one of the things I'm talking about in the column. They, they just everyone I talk to that has one has had one stolen from them. So, um, so, so, but one of the things you've been mentioning is you know more bike lanes, a lot of. Um, public intervention. So the big mm -hmm. headline today, I don't know if you saw it, was from Milan. And they're like, we've shut down Milan. It has done wonders for air pollution. It's, it's a really polluted city. It's done wonders for traffic congestion. Um, they're in the heart of Lombardy, which is, which yeah. is the heart of, of the COVID um, outbreak in Italy. And they've said, okay, we are going to reopen, but we're not going to reopen the way we were before. We're going to put in a lot more bike lanes. We're going to put in a lot more. We're going to widen the pedestrian sidewalk. We're going to give people a lot more scope to be doing social distancing on the sidewalk. We're going to really minimize the number of cars that we try and have when we reopen. And the new Milan is not going to look like the old Milan. And this is, this is COVID is an opportunity to reset um, urban design. And I think my question for you is, how much do we need municipal governments to make this happen? And how much is it going to happen, even with someone like Bill de Blasio, who doesn't seem to care about these things at all? Well, he does not care. He doesn't. He, he, I did a good a podcast with him talking about this rather in detail. There's some people that are more pro this than he is. He's more focused on, you know, elderly need cars and everything like that, which of course wasn't really answering the question. I think it has to have full fed, it, it not fed, both federal and local, mostly local intervention, city, city, city to city. And then people can use best practices. You know, the idea, you know, mayors do cooperate, governors do cooperate, as it turns out, um, that there's there's, there's sort of best practices depending on the city. I mean, there's different challenges in every city, whether it's Los Angeles or San Francisco, totally different challenges, hills, uh, the distance that go, happens in Los Angeles, obviously you're gonna have to have, there's tons and tons of stuff experimenting there, by the way, more than a lot of places there has been. Um, so it, it'll depend on local leadership, I think, to figure it out. Like when the scooters first got here, I wrote a column uh, last year about the scooters attacking Paris when I happened to be in Paris. They sorted it out. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing. And so it has to be the mayors, mayors, and then mayors working with other mayors, figuring out what the best way to do this is. But I think every municipality is going to have to do their own thing in this in this environment, just as they do with uh, you know. There's sort of a commonality of mass transit across the world, but there's also individual interventions, um, and it so depends we, on what's we, good for the city. We have a question in the Q and A here sure. asking, like, if you just look at the cities around the world, do any of them jump out at you as doing a really good job at a municipal level of enabling people to not own a car or need well, a car? Well, Amsterdam is the first one you go to, right? Like, that's sort of the go-to. They sort of went all bike a million years ago, but they've been doing a lot more than that. I think, you know, there's a city that's physically difficult to have a car. They have cars there, and I was just recently there. Um, but they, obviously bicycling is the, is the thing. And, and you'll see, you know, as I think they don't allow scooters yet. I think they're, they're sort of waiting because it could be a disaster in Amsterdam. You know? I, I was just announced that what they scooters? do have a lot of is e-bikes. Yeah, e-bikes, e they do. And, and yeah. like, even in very heavy, like, you know, the, the classic Dutch, Dutch bicycle is very 
heavy Big. and moves very slowly and that's yeah. okay you don't need it to move fast right um even in that um milieu the e-bike has taken off amazingly and you go around germany especially like everyone has an e-bike e-bikes yeah. do seem to be incredibly transformative they're great and that is a technology that just didn't really exist just a few years ago. No, it didn't. And they're great. I just started using them uh, and I love them. I have to say, you know, it's not because I'm lazy or particularly, but I mean, it does create a situation where it's easier to do things and you can do, you can bike yourself, but it also gives you this assist that makes the diff, the, it's a, such a slight assist and such a slight difference, or it can be a very strong assist. But I think, you know, if you get the dual battery in terms of length of time, and that makes a heavier bike, obviously. Um, I think it's a really, I think e-bikes are really interesting, especially when you start to to outfit them with cargo, with child, with you know different safety things. It becomes kind of a quasi motorcycle, but not like kind of thing. But especially when combined with bike lanes, it becomes a relatively safe choice for you. I mean, I don't like riding bikes in any city that doesn't have bike lanes. I'll tell you that. I don't. I the 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 mix between cars and bikes still is sort of fatal and deadly for a lot of people. So I, you know, in San Francisco, they have a lot of bike lanes, and I use uh, scooters and uh, e-bikes there quite a bit. Where I can find an e-bike, actually, there's not as many as there need to be. Um, and so, uh, so it just depends. I think, you know, like a lot of these European cities lend themselves beautifully to all those solutions. Uh, Los Angeles is a different challenge, but San Francisco certainly is an interesting place to try these things. The issue with San Francisco is the power because of the hills. Um, if you ever use a scooter in San Francisco, it's slow go. You, you do not get up those hills. I mean, the one I live on is, I can't, I have to stop the scooter and walk up the hill essentially. Um, or, you know, you can think of, you think New York, I think there's big problems in New York because of the amount of people and the amount of cars and the amount of activity. And so you have to think really hard about doing things to the, because people naturally go on sidewalks, scooters, especially. Um, you, you have to really think hard and not all of New York, partly in Brooklyn, it works better than it does in Manhattan. The Manhattan with scooters, e-bikes at, is problematic, I think. So, you know, especially because of all the cars. So the question is, are you going to close down streets and make them or make them smaller for car use and then devote more space to other things. E-bikes are still pretty expensive. And yeah. you said that everyone you know who's had one has had one stolen. Yeah, you, I was talking to uh, delivery guys. I was talking to delivery guys all have them stolen, you know. Uh, and, and the delivery, I mean, the, at least in Manhattan. Uh, they're illegal, the, right? They're illegal. They're, they're illegal, but they're the, they have the sort of the Chinatown e-bikes, which yeah. are much cheaper than the ones you can buy at retail, are the ones mm -hmm. you see everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, have you seen anything, and this is another question we've got in the Q&A, have you seen anything like exciting that you think is is promising when it comes to anti-theft technology and security? Yeah. No, I don't. I, I, gotta, I, don't, I haven't done enough reporting on it, but I mean, I think it's, I, it's it, they're perfect for stealing, like they can be picked up, you know, that kind, even though they're somewhat heavy. Um, you know, I, I mean, they're not as heavy as motors, so it's kind of perfect for stealing. Um, I think there might be some shutdown, I'm guessing. I'm, I need to do reporting on it, so I don't know. Uh, but I'm assuming there's some sh motor shutdown things, but those could probably be overridden by a good mechanic and, and things like that. And so, you know, all, all I see is giant chains, and I think that's a problem, and, you know, those can be broken. Um, putting them that in the back of your house, that kind of stuff. That's the solution I have. I have a blocked thing, like lock and lock and lock. And so it's still, it's still a vulnerable device, no matter how you slice it. Same thing with scooters, by the way. But, but the, the one great anti-theft device, the, by far the best anti-theft device that I've ever come across, mm -hmm. um, certainly in the New York context, is 
not owning a bike and just using right. the shared bikes. Um, yes. As uh, like the electric bikes are now slowly rolling out. They are. Um, around around the world, but including including in New York. Is is that in and of itself a reason why we should be incredibly bullish on shared e-bikes? Yeah, I think they're interesting. I mean, right, of course, now everyone's sort of nervous with COVID-19, but event that will pass. And I do think I do think about that, but you can't get them. That's the issue. There's not enough of them. You know, I, I'm always well, that, right that, now, that's, that's I, right now I can find it. Right? Yeah, exactly. But but now I can get a jump bike because there's a rat. Nobody's going anywhere. So I can I've noticed I can get one. But I think it is an easy problem to solve. But they're super popular people, especially don't want to ride scooters, right? That, that think scooters are a little uh, difficult. Then the other issue like with Revel, which is the sco motor scooter one, um, uh, is the helmet issue, uh, which, uh, you know, I was watching two people put on Revel helmets last night. And I was like, oh, wow, how do you make that clean in this environment? I don't know if COVID-19 could be distributed through hair but it's certainly uh, my son you know, like, you're breathing into that thing yeah yeah i was like no thank you for this one and i did i was trying to think how they deal with that um i carry helmets i have these collapsible helmets lime has been manufacturing these collapsible helmets um so that's you know that's the issue is with the helmet thing is which most people should have um another challenge you know that's another challenge but as to, as to getting them out there that would be great if there were more of them they just aren't they just they aren't there they, and i don't know why they aren't but they, they I'm, i don't know what they're stealing i should i need to call uber because they do jump i think um so i don't know what their policies on the stealing but i'd imagine they have a real problem with that but let, let me ask you the, the topical question about about mm -hmm. covid because i think it's going to be a long time before we go back to feeling comfortable jamming into crowded yeah. subways and yeah. buses and sharing things. And one of the things about car ownership and owning your own personal car is it is your car. You have your bubble around you. No one else is in that bubble and yeah. you're not going to catch any horrible virus or germs from it. And yeah. that is looking increasingly attractive right now. Eh. Um, I think people, I think people are going to go right back to it. You're going to be licking telephone poles, Felix, like you like to do very soon. It, I, I mean, I, I do miss. One of the things I really miss is licking yeah. telephone poles. It's, it, I think know, people I mean, will forget it like that. Like they will be back in those cars. Maybe they'll be wearing masks in them. But I do think people will be right back to using these things. I don't, I, I don't, I think it'll be slower going, but I think people just tend to forget. They'll forget about this. Um, it, it's going to be like childbirth. You just put it behind you. Yeah, the hardest pain you ever had, the easiest to forget. Uh, you know, these, not the people who've lost loved ones and things like that, but I'm talking about just generalized um, use and behavior. I think people, the subways work, uh, buses work. You know, there's not, there wasn't like an enormous dislike of them. I think what's happening on a general, on a broader term is things that, things that were already happening are accelerated in this environment. And so delivery accelerated, uh, going to movie theaters, not going to movie theaters, accelerated, like that kind of stuff that was already happening. But I think people will go back to the use of, of all these things. Maybe not Uber, the, the, the pools, but I think that was actually, those were sort of declining and sort of on the bubble, I think, the pools comparatively. So, so, COVID you don't see necessarily as an accelerant. It's just going to be this kind of interregnum and then we just go back to the status quo ante and the trends that we were on before. I suspect, I mean, what's going to be, there's enormous economic damage in that time frame. I mean, I don't expect, 
I would be nervous if I was a Lyft investor right now, for sure. You know what I mean? Or some of the, it's got to consolidate. I suspect that you're going to see a consolidation in, in ride sharing. I don't know how you can't, this is, you know, getting drivers back in the cars, getting the, you know, getting it started again is going, getting, stopping it to turn out to be rather quick. Getting it started again is going to be a, a longer term thing, but I still think, from a directional point of view, like I was saying, people like these things, they like doing them. I just think the problem that Uber and all the others have is that economically, as you know, is it's the numbers don't add up. They still don't add up at the prices. Um, and they do take advantage of people. And it's brought into sharp relief, people that don't have uh, healthcare, they don't have you know rights that they need to have and stuff like that. And so that's another issue they're gonna have to deal with going forward is that we have created a permanent underclass, whether it's delivery or cars, uh, or people who service scooters or whatever, who are like serfs and we're the lords, you know, and we're getting these prices that are just not accurate to what they actually should cost. Right. And if, as I say, if, if the thing that has changed about making car ownership less attractive, or making the lack of car ownership more attractive up until now has overwhelmingly been Uber and Uber has been problematic because it's created yeah. all of these, um, underclass issues and at the same time it has burned through how many billions of dollars now like yeah it's the over, price like what 20, you're paying something like that yeah what um, you're paying for it's, an uber it's is economically not. unsustainable mm -hmm. um one of the things about financial crises is they do tend to put a stop to things that are economically unsustainable they certainly can um, they certainly can yeah so what so you know doesn't that run the risk of like, well, like, you know, Lyft was on a big thing and it bought Citibike, which had, yeah. has lost money since inception because they're like, we're a mobility solution and we yeah, burn yeah, they through like money that. and that's what we do. And yeah. now suddenly burning through money is, is less um, attractive than it well, used to be. Well, look at and, Uber though, has delivery. Like, you know, if they can move, like Amazon was losing and, money and until Uber it found- losing more money than, than yes, Uber is. Yes, yes, yes. But it, that to me is like figuring out what your AWS is, like what is their AWS? There, there are businesses that, that will emerge from these. It's just a question of whether there's the time and money to be able to afford that stream, right? That's, that's what the issue is. I mean, you could look you, at you an think, Amazon. You think that these are, fundamentally the business model here is fundamentally profitable and they and like without self-driving cars they can make money it could be it's well no self-driving cars will make it great like as travis told me in that interview that famous interview you know if we could get rid of the guy in the front seat we'd be golden i think that's what he said in this lovely way that he always tends to articulate things um but i think yes i do i think there is room for this business it's just the prices have to change and therefore the growth isn't the same and therefore the stock isn't the same you know it's sort of like looking at a we work it's not a bad idea like right it's a great idea it's just the just the fundamentals of of, of, of a lot we're not aligned in terms of what the actual size of the business really is and what it really should be worth and that's an investor problem right. which you know I'm, I'm you, not, you know more about than me super yeah i'm not super interested in in the uber or the lyft share price i mean it, it's going to be what it's going to be um so you know as long as it's positive that's great if they keep on losing money and definitely then it, that's not great I think what you're saying is that the price of the service is going to have to go up in order to yeah. make the business economical. People like the and product. One of the things that People I've like seen, the product. That's what I'm interested in. So what's the price of the One of the things the that product? I've seen a lot is people 
literally doing the math on a car ownership. And they're saying, it costs me this much to own a car, own and operate a car. It costs me that much to take Ubers when I need to. Mm -hmm. I, it is cheaper for me to just Uber when I need to than it is to own a car. Yeah. Yeah. If the price of Uber goes up and if the price of gas stays as low as it is right now, right. that right. calculus changes and suddenly car ownership looks more relatively attractive. Except for the convenience factor, the storage factor, if you can park on the streets, you know, that's just depends on what your other costs are, right? I mean, there's a convenience, like, I am so happy I don't have a car, right? Like, I just don't need a car. Like, I guess I want to escape the city when it uh, breaks, it, all, all hell breaks loose, but it seems like that's not happening. Um, uh, it, it's, it's the convenience to me. Like, it, 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 uh, there's other things, the, the extra thing of owning something else. I do think ownership of a lot of stuff is not going to be the same. That's what, I, you know, the fact that you have to have, everyone has to have a car. I just don't think that's in people's minds in the same way that it used to be. In some places it is, in other places it isn't. Anecdotally, well, not anecdotally, like there's actually numbers about um, the prices of secondhand cars coming down. But yeah. by the same token, people are buying those cars. They are moving, like, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of just you New York Times folks, like, you know, there are New York Times people saying, I'm buying a car. I am, like, I am not right. going to get back on the subway anytime soon. I have kids. Oh, all right, I need yeah to put them in, in car seats. Like, yes, of course. I feel like we, we can anecdote our way around in general. I, the, the bigger picture, it, for me at least, is that if you have rising prices for car share, if you have less um, ability for companies like Uber and Lyft to subsidize mm -hmm. scooters and bikes, um, if you have declining gasoline prices, all of, the, all of those at the margins mitigate against your thesis. And so right what I'm now, trying to work right out- Right now, I, I, yeah. I think right now, absolutely. These, the, no one expected these, they're gonna go, by the way, those gas prices are gonna go right back up as people start moving again. Like this is an unprecedented situation, right? That people aren't actually moving. Like so, see, look at those pictures from, uh, from, from India around the blue sky suddenly, you know what I mean? You're like, whoa, like that's gonna be gray again. That's going to be, people are going to be moving again. And so those prices are going to go up. So that's a temporary thing. I don't think everyone's suddenly going to go, ah, perhaps we shouldn't move anymore. That is not happening. I do think that there's some interesting stuff. If there was a different kind of car or a car manufactured in a different way, which is a more, you know, I've been looking at some of these um, autonomous cars and they're made of, you know, parts that you can just slap together like Legos, which is really interesting. Um, and, and of stuff that's easily manufactured or, or disposable in a lot of, more disposable where you use parts. To me, the idea is the way we manufacture and make cars is sort of antiquated in the way we could. If there was a car that was, you know, if everybody had cars that were a little less, you know, as big as they are and made them more disposable, that would be interesting to me. Um, but I, don't, I do think that right now, yes, it's better probably to own a car, but at the same time, then I will have the car and I don't want to have the car. And I, I agree, it's, it depends on where you are, but I do think the demographic trends around cities are so obvious where most people are gonna live. And I don't mean to say that everybody's not gonna have a car. I'm just thinking few, that as the, as the demographics change and people move into cities, which could easily change. That could change. So, so let me, let, let's talk. You could also say people aren't gonna live in cities anymore because of, of COVID or like they're worried so, about right, pandemics. But, so let, let's talk about that because the, the three cities that you have been living in are mm -hmm. New York, San Francisco, and Washington, DC, mm -hmm. all of which predate the car. And yeah. any city which predates the car is much more likely to be yes. walkable. Yeah. Um, and 
the number one way that you get around is is walking. You're just same as me. Um, most cities actually don't predate the car, That's and right. the cities that postdate the car are not walkable. Los Angeles. Um, so uh, Los Angeles is an interesting example. I mean, um, parts of it are parts of it. Well, one of the one of the interesting things about well, what, one of the things that we see living in a capitalist society is that money drives and capitalism drives everything. So what you saw in LA was the enormous profits that the car companies had helped drive out the um, rail system in LA. Mm -hmm. the, they, um, and, and really encouraged car culture to um, grow in not just LA, but in cities around the country, you know, mm -hmm. Atlanta or um, Nashville or you name it, um, Phoenix. And so- Actually, Nashville is a very walkable city, but go ahead, so spend a the, lot of time. The question, the question I have for you, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> given, given the problems that Uber and Lyft and anyone else in this space seems to have with, with achieving massive profitability, is like, where is the, capitalist incentive to change everything like it, the car companies were so profitable they really architected entire cities around the car mm -hmm. they Who, where is the money in architecting entire cities around bicycles well that's the problem right obviously well i would say that it's not necessarily a, a financial incentive it's climate change eventually you know eventually this will be something we have to do unless we create a, you know a series of cars that are um more more better, not more better, but better for the environment. And I think, you know, we're, we're right in the middle of this pandemic. So I don't want to like add a disaster onto it. One of the things I've been talking about is this, these climate change tech and how climate change changes everything. And I do think um, it, this is, this is the existential crisis of our, of our world is what we do in this situation. And so I think uh, on some level, the idea of public transit needs to be something that's more, uh, that isn't just a money pit, that people don't see it as a money pit, they see it as a as an addition and an economic incentive to create better cities, better, better work environments, better living conditions for people. Um, there's not a capitalist sentiment here, it's a societal sentiment that we can no longer uh, tolerate this many cars on the road. Um, it's problematic in other cities across the globe more than ours, I think. I mean, I guess Los Angeles would be the prime example of the car city. Um, but, and I'm trying to think of another city in this country, because a lot of them are, have much more robust public transportation systems. So it's a question of whether politicians will embrace this idea around infrastructure and the building out of public transportation. Um, you know, I think it does go hand in hand with inequality. It goes hand in hand with uh, wealthy people you know, having the ability to afford this and less wealthy people not. And so you're right, there's no particular capitalist um, incentive, but there is certainly as a societal incentive within just within climate change to me. And I think a lot of young people do have that uh, the, mentality. The, the magic bullet when it comes to public transportation, and this is bigger than, much bigger than scooters, much bigger than mm -hmm. bikes, much bigger than subways. Um, the thing that can really transform cities is buses. And we've seen yeah. this in like Bogota. We've seen this like in, in a bunch of different places, but bus rapid transit and really investing in, in a robust um, bus system, especially with dedicated bus lanes, really manages to transform cities 
on a, mm. on a budget that's achievable, unlike right. something like a subway system where no one can afford to put them in and it costs $2 billion to add a single stop in, in you know, Hudson Yards or something like that. Um, do you foresee a world where Americans in general regularly mm -hmm. take the bus? Uh, no. You see, we've gotten so used to cars. I don't know. Yes, I suppose, yeah, any behavior can change. Like, look, we've changed our behavior on mobile phones versus, we change behaviors all the time, uh, more than you think. I don't think we're as entrenched as you imagine into cars as people think we are. Um, I, I, I use buses a lot. I love buses. Um, it's certainly being used by people with less money than others. You know, anyone who has money gets in an Uber or has their own car or or whatever they, they do. Um, but I do think there's some really interesting, like you look, go to any other city, there's many other cities in Europe that use them in really interesting ways. Um, and, and people, what's interesting is in other cities, you see different economic strata using buses, right? It's not a, it's not a thing that the poor use. In this country, if you go to any city, a bus is used by people who are much poorer than others, right? You don't see, you don't see the mix that you would see. You do see a more of a mix on a subway, say in New York, a lot of, lots of people use the subway and you can see the economic strata there pretty clearly. But I think it's a question of whether you can design buses and, and not just buses, but uh, light rail, um, the, the streetcars and things like that in ways that are, um, that will attract the whole of society to them. And I think that's one of the problems around public transit is that who uses it is who gets the attention in our society. Same thing with schools or anything else. Uh, Cecily Lloyd jumped into the Q&A here and basically has, has a great question asking, how can the companies, um, wh whoever they are in the micromobility or the mobility space, how can they work with the governments? Because obviously so much of this needs to be done at the municipal level. You need to yeah. build out these bus routes, bus lanes, bike lanes, widen sidewalks, do all of the stuff that we're talking about in order to make car, to make the car less attractive. Like there are two different things that need to happen here. One, everything else needs to become more attractive. And number two, the car cannot be the fastest way of getting from A to B because as long right. as it's the fastest way of getting from A to B, people are gonna go, oh, I yeah. have to jump in the car because I'm in a hurry. Yeah, it's more efficient. So, so how do you how do you manage to get constructive collaboration and cooperation between mobility companies and and municipal governments and have you seen that anywhere well no that you know uber was trying if you recall to you know be like the you use your Uber app to pay for public transit. There was some schemes around that. There were other bus companies, I think they were in China, where they were mimicking popular bus routes, public transportation bus routes with private buses. And there's a lot of private buses all over the world, you know, that do that, that mimic popular uh, things. I think the problem is they, because they're poor profit, they do only the popular ones and not where everybody needs to go, right? Which is typical. Um, again, it's sort of anti-poor, like people, they, they, they tend to not populate or have buses go to places that, that aren't gonna make as much money. And so that's the problem when you privatize a lot of these things, right? So it can't be a fully private thing because it has to have some more larger social goals, um, which is everybody, it, it's sort of like the idea of, we were just talking about the idea of having 
uh, a post office, like whether we should have the post office, right? There's that debate going on because of the billions of dollars it's losing right now. Um, and Which are not real billions, by the way. It's all it's all like pension. Y math, yes. Yeah. yeah. But in, in in any case, there's the there's the debate of whether they should privatize the post office. Well, everybody should have the right to get mail for you know whatever how much a stamp costs you know which is rising in price but it still is a pretty good deal to mail a letter and so that you have to like balance bigger societal questions out with you know privatizing and so to me public private partnerships are really one of the most interesting things to emerge from this covid thing sometimes not really working very well sometimes working very well um you know it's it, it, there has to be a better idea of how to do public private partnerships where the goal is to uh, aid, this, aid, aid the shareholders who are the taxpayers versus just these companies, you know, and, or you get disasters like private prisons, right? Where you, you know, but we'd look away, but what's happening there is, is really appalling. Uh, but we look away because it's prisons or we, but we're not going to be able to look away from, you know, a, a badly uh, rolled out a, a public, uh, transportation scheme that is also facilitated by private uh, private entities. But I, I don't see how you can do it without private entities involved. I think governments are probably pretty incapable of doing this on a big scale these days, and especially now with these deficits. And it's just- I, I'm just having a lot of difficulty trying to think of a public-private partnership anywhere in the world mm -hmm. that has actually worked in terms of mobility and transportation. Like the one which springs to mind is, um, City bike, actually, City bike, yeah. um, which is which is a private company. Um, but the interesting thing about City bike is that the New York City government insisted from day one that it received no public subsidy whatsoever, and that has severely hampered the rollout of City bike because it then needed to get City Bank to um, right. so sponsor it. City Bank doesn't particularly want to have all of its ads all over. Queens and, and the Bronx where people actually really need these bikes and therefore they don't roll out to those areas because it's expensive to do that. The government isn't subsidizing it. If we can't even make this work in New York where we're spending billions of dollars on the subway and literally zero on, mm -hmm. on the bike network, like how is it even conceivable that it's going to work anywhere. These, these. Well, I don't know. I think. I think it does. New York is like. Come on. Like New York is like the Olympics of difficulty, right? So you know, you certainly. <laughs> okay. Where's easy? Where, where do well, we where would be easy? It would be interesting to start in a city that needed that had had needed better transportation, a smaller city like a Pittsburgh or uh, or something like that, where you can start to do a testing around a lot of these things, autonomous vehicles. That's why they're doing them in these smaller cities, which is interesting. Right. Um, where What's there's that's why Carnegie Mellon is. But, right, yeah. exactly. In that case, in that case. But Arizona is another place they do them. Um, Phoenix, I think, is where they're trying them. They're definitely, interestingly, there's a lot more um, autonomous tests being done in the streets of San Francisco than you realize, um, like uh, actual autonomous testing on routes and, and things like that. Um, but you have to definitely have a sort of a proof case one place where it does work and then try to iterate the concept. Um, around the world, but you're right. I mean, it's really, it does, but that, just because it hasn't worked doesn't mean it it couldn't work. And I think what's governments your, are gonna, governments your, are gonna um, have to be more, uh, rather than funders of everything, monitors of everything um, versus that. I think that's definitely what's, a trend. What's your prognostication for the effect of autonomous vehicles on traffic? Does it cause more traffic or less traffic? 
Uh, I think it causes, right now it causes more, right? I think that's the idea, especially if they're not shared, is it causes, I think eventually when they're autonomous, it becomes an interesting question is they don't get as, into as many accidents eventually. But I think the, sh the problem we're gonna have is when they're sharing the roads with humans. I think that's that, but that happened when we had carriages and cars, right? There was that whole series of constant accidents and different things. Um, so I suspect once we go fully autonomous or almost fully autonomous, you're not going to see a lot of those problems. Um, but until then, there's there's definitely going to be issues around accidents and you know the intersection of humans with autonomous vehicles. And and more and just on a sort of normative level, if what we're trying to encourage is people spending less time in cars and mm -hmm. different forms of last mile mobility and all of that kind of stuff. Um, what, like, and your whole thesis of private car ownership declining, what's the implication of that for traffic? If it, do we see, is, is traffic um, on some level, like a good thing that makes it less attractive to drive and therefore drives us? Yeah. Like, is, is, is it bad to have traffic or is it, Yes, it's yeah, bad. We, we it's like, like full, it's like energy it. sucking. It's like, there's nothing good about traffic. I think it's, I think efficient movement of vehicles would, would be better for society. Uh, um, I think that it's interesting to think about just all the other things though. You have the gas stations that people use. You have parking garages. Think about all the parking garages. Like in a city like San Francisco, we have so many parking garages and not enough homes. Like, that's interesting. Like, what could you do with the, what could you do if you, if everyone didn't have to park a car, if there was a par, cars go in and out as, as fleets and go to a, a site that's slightly further out in a parking lot and they just sit there until they're needed. Um, you know, you can think of lots of creative ways to do this, but there's also peripheral effects around uh, traffic. Um, I, I, I don't think you can make an argument for traffic, Felix. I just, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not trying, and trust yeah. me, I'm not trying to make yeah. an argument for traffic, but one of the interesting things I've seen is London with the congestion pricing mm -hmm. in London. What has um, happened there? I don't even know what's happened there. What, well, what happened is that basically everyone stopped driving private cars into the central, into central London, into the congestion zone, mm -hmm. um, and the amount of traffic went up. Oh, because there was all these other cars, yeah. Because because you have like a massive uptick in in Ubers, you have a massive, you you have a lot more buses, which is good, but they can't go very fast because there's all these uh -huh. Ubers in the way. And importantly, you have a massive uptick in everyone ordering Amazon deliveries to their yeah. offices and homes and everything. And so there's all of these price insensitive vehicles that have to be there because mm -hmm. that's their job, and. You can you can cut private car driving down to zero and still have a huge amount of traffic. Yes, that's absolutely true. I, I think on the delivery stuff, they do have they do more deliver. It's fewer cars because everyone's going out to get their ham sandwich or whatever. You know, one person delivers ham sandwiches to all. That's a very different. You, you, what one thing that good cities do, and you see this in Italy quite a lot, is you um, you have hours that you can have commercial deliveries. And then, yeah. you know, during rush hour, it's not allowed. I've Somehow that seems to be un-American. I, I wish we could have redone cities again and have tunnels underneath and all the delivery, you know, if well, I they had did to that like- in Boston, how did that work? Well, that's the difference. They don't, they don't, they don't deliver below. Like you have them actually yeah. like tunnels underneath everything, like secret tunnels where you bring in the, just the trucks or not even trucks, autonomous trucks that they just wheel like a train that comes in 
and they deliver things and things go up. I, if I had to read, that's never going to happen. Tokyo. I feel like Tokyo is the closest to that. Yeah, yeah. I guess I think that would be pretty cool if you could restart a city. You'd have a, you'd have a, a network of tunnels underneath these cities that deli- that made deliveries. I mean, trucks. I think are the bane of people's lives in New York. You know, trucks pull yeah, over, and it depends on the mayor who's mayor at the time whether they're going to be worse or better. Um, do we move on to? Q's and A's, because I yeah. know there's a bunch of people wanting to ask some questions here. How, how, what's the best way to work through these? Do we go down the Q&A bit and just go through them? This is a good one. Do you think all of the shared scooter companies will go out of business? I do. I, not all of them. No, because the people like it. See, here, this is the thing. It's a great product, right? I love scooters. I think people who use them love them. They find them super convenient. They like them. And there's more than one kind of... of um, of, of scooter, there's some sit down ones. I don't know if you've seen them. Los Angeles had a whole bunch of sit down ones. Um, and so I, I they, again, it's the wrong price, right? Or if there's enough money to fund it, at some point there'll be one that p- people like to use. I suspect it's gotta be affiliated with like an Uber or a Lyft so it's all integrated. I tend to use more Uber ones because it's in my app so that I don't have 50 different apps. Um, but I, I think they're gonna, I don't think they're a bad idea. I think the money's gonna run out for them and they're, they're gonna be right-sized uh, to a more. Um, this, is, this is a question for the woman who quite publicly toyed with the idea of running for mayor of San Francisco. <laughs> um, what would it take for city governments to more quickly reallocate street space to make it safer for people on scooters and bikes and e-bikes? Even in a city like San Francisco, this has been a painfully slow process. It's not been that slow. God, people are so impatient. It's a city, right? <laughs> Come on, like, give me a break. It's actually, they have, the amount of stuff they put up there, uh, no one ever is happy, are they? You know, I mean, it's just, there's an enormous amount of space devoted to bikes now compared to just a year ago and the year before that. I mean, I anyone who uses the streets can see that it's certainly not enough and there's certainly still too many car cars are, you know, in New York, slower in New York, for sure. And I think it's because Mayor de Blasio is not as for it. But there's certainly been much more aggressive bike lanes um, throughout that city. Um, also, and I, you know, there's been more and more bike lanes everywhere you go. I just, again, they're not fast enough, certainly, but they're, but they've been moving at a, in a, in a, at a pace that is, uh, that has been much faster than previously. So I, I don't know what to say. City governments are city governments and they have all kinds of liability issues. They've got building issues, got funding issues. I'm not going to like kick them in the teeth for not being fast enough on this. I think people do care about it. I do. I do think they do. Thank you. Um, Ashish has a That's why question. I'd be a terrible mayor. I'd be like, give me a fucking break. Like, <laughs> that would be my, every time someone how's, complained. How's, how's London Breed doing? How do you rate oh, her? Oh, good. Interesting. It, she's done very, gotten a lot of good press around the COVID thing because they did she it a lot great very, on that. early. Um, you know, there's, of course, because in San Francisco now around the homeless issues, which she, I, I just did a podcast with her about it. And she taught, she answered it pretty clearly. It's like, it's very hard to do homeless people from a social distance, especially ones with drug and mental illness problems. So, Essentially, she said, give me a fucking break. Um, we're doing a better job than everyone else. But, um, but it, you know, there's some controversy around that. But in general, she's got, she seems to be uh, on top of a lot of things. Uh, I'll uh, jump in really fast. Uh, oh, yeah, Luke. Hor- Horace, our co-founder, uh, wants to, I know oh, I promised I'd let him get a question in here. It's your conference. You get to ask a question. Yeah, great, guys. Thanks for uh, coming on. And I love the, 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 the conversation. I just wanted to touch on Kara's very, very uh, uh, interesting point about the, 
the old uh, landline phones uh, mm -hmm. and how we're moving beyond thinking about uh, uh, transportation as as sort of these uh, these uh, old-fashioned vehicles. And um, so, so we use this metaphor. We call it the smartphone on wheels. Uh, I guess I guess she's envisioning already, you know, the the phone on wheels because because that's how we're moving to mobile phone on wheels. And um, and so the thing that happened, the thing that excites me is that we went to a phone which is filled with software as opposed to just being, you know, a little bit more mobile, powered by a battery and so on. So to, do you think this is really becoming a software game? Because that's really exciting. If, if these machines uh, that move us around get injected with software, and and in you know network effects and and platforms and communications and all these other things uh that's been the dream of the car guys for for years and years but they can't move fast enough because machines take forever to get cycled in and out of use do you think that's going to be exciting well cars are already full of software i mean i think people don't realize how much technology is embedded in cars these days on, on diagnostics on how they move and everything else. And I, so I do think, you know, a lot, whenever you meet a car company executive, they're, they actually tell the exact same joke every time they go, we're the original mobile device. Ha, 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 ha. Mm -hmm. And then, then you move past that terrible joke. Um, but I think th th these cars will naturally become software vehicles. I mean, really, I think, that, you know, what's to me more interesting is the manufacture of them. And if you can do these, like one of these car companies that I just did a podcast with, um, I'm totally blanking. It's the one that's making the sort of carriages. Um, they have stuff where you just pull off a fender and plug on another fender. Like they just, they get parts. It's really, it's really Lego-like in some ways. And so I think that to me is how we build and release cars and change them. And then up, they can pull out one part that has a problem, including the software in it, and then just put another one in its place. Um, and so that to me is much more interesting than anything else, but you're going to see an increasing level of technology inside these cars, both uh, technology, sort of mechanical engineering and, uh, and software engineering. I, I have one, I need to jump in here because it's a really good question from Twitter. Um, universal basic mobility <laughs> is this thing that has, I've been hearing a little bit about in recent months. The idea that, and you're seeing it, I think a little bit in Helsinki, there's like one or two places where, mm -hmm. where, where it's beginning to happen. What mm -hmm. you, you were talking about how like there's this um, income inequality gap in terms yes. of the, the, the range of transportation options that people have mm -hmm. changes radically depending on how much money they have. And right. is there a way of, of implementing a scheme where everyone basically has access to the same um, set of options for us, like uh, just by giving everyone like basically free public transport, however they like it. Well, that would be nice, but we're not very nice to poor people, are we, in our society? I mean, I, that would be great. That would be great. I just don't uh, see one of my one of my favorite example um, proposals. Um, for the New York subway came from Charlie Komanoff, who's been thinking about this for decades. He thinks that the New York subway should be free in off-peak periods. And mm -hmm. because all of the crowding happens in relatively short time windows. And if you made it free in other time windows, that would encourage people to move their um, use of the subway to off-peak off periods. And it wouldn't actually lose you much money. Well, because okay. Most people are working, most people are traveling at peak times. I don't know. I think there's a lot of interesting, innovative um, 
solutions here, including congestion pricing, which is, I still think, on the menu for New York. I mean, who knows whether, you know, everything has changed, but they wanted to raise a billion dollars a year, which is way more than, um, like, London races or anything. I think congestion pricing is a great idea. It's one of those things, I think. It's just, it's an easy, it's an easy, it's a low-hanging fruit for governments to, to start to make money is, say, we don't want cars in here, and, and those who want to do businesses have to figure it into their business plan. I think it's one of the better ideas. I think it's a great idea. I am highly skeptical that New York is going to make it to a billion dollars, but you know, um, we will we will see on that one if it ever happens. <laughs> All right, fine. This is a good one to end with, Gareth. Um, do you think Mark Andreessen's time to build piece was about oh. bike lanes? I don't, I still don't know what that piece was about, Felix. Have you figured it out? Like the guy who said software is eating the world, except now we should build things. I don't, I just, I'm not, I, that would be nice, but I don't think Mark Andreessen's been on a bike in a long time. So I don't know. He has a litter, he has a litter that carries him around. (laughs) It's true. I did offer to take him on the one train once and he looked at me like I had three heads. He doesn't leave, he doesn't leave a hundred square feet around his house, I think. You know, and he gets carried places. I don't don't know (laughs) if we should get our infrastructure cues from Mark Andreessen, that's my feeling. Who, Who are the, who are the capitalists who are most interesting in this? Oh! Oh, in the space, I, people who I think I would like to hear their ideas on, you know, I listen to Mark Cuban, I listen to Warren Buffett, I, I, I listen to a lot of people like uh, around these ideas, you know, Bloomberg obviously has been a big discussion of how cities are going to be. So I probably want to hear from him. These are just right now. Um, but there's all kinds of really interesting people in, in the space. of it's, It really is about the design of cities. And again, I know there's people in rural areas. I know people in suburban areas. But cities is where this is going to start to be innovated on. And it has to be because of the amount of people crushed together in one space. Um, and so the ideas of moving people in and out of cities is going to going to be a critical question for our age when and then when you sort of you put climate change on top of that it's 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 a necessity it's an absolute necessity and I wasn't doing this as a stunt Felix I mean I know you think I'm doing this stunt but I really do believe I'm not doing it for the climate I'm I don't want to do climate change I just I'm just getting ready for inevitably what's going to happen I'm just going to wait until everybody catches up to the idea so that's my plan you're just becoming a New Yorker. New York is, is the only city <laughs> in the world, in, in America, where the majority of yes, yeah, never yes, that. yes, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I was born in that area, but but I live a lot of places. So. We'll, we'll have you back at some All point. All right. Okay, we, we could go back. forever here, but I got yeah, excited. I got, I I got a podcast. Busy. I have a podcast, yeah. actually. And of course, I think we all do. About um, in, <laughs> income inequality. About income inequality, actually. Uh, Guys, I'm, I'm against it. <laughs> Thank you know you so what's interesting? Can I just say something? I, it's a correlated thing. Whenever people talk about this income inequality issue, including with transportation, I always tell really rich people who talk and like complain about it. You know, you're either gonna you're either gonna um, you're either gonna do something about this, or you're gonna armor plate your Tesla. So pick. So. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for being here. Uh, This is a great conversation, Kara. I appreciate your time. Felix, I appreciate your time. Felix asked me to remind you all to check out Succession on AMC with Paul Giamatti. Um, And uh, (laughs) seriously, everyone, stay safe out there. Have a great day. And I'll talk to you more soon. Thanks for a great call. Bye, everyone. All right, thanks. Bye. Good, guys.